This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Oh, I love that. I love that Shauna's face lit up when you say good morning back to her. That's just her personality right there in a nutshell. Um, I am said Angela. I didn't just grab the mic and come running. <laughs> and I am also excited to talk this morning. I don't know if you track my journey, if you've been here before and we've met and you've heard. I, for the first like 100,000 times I got on this stage, I told you that I was terrified of it. Uh, I have, when Shauna said, survey the landscape of the last 24 hours, and is there something that brings you great joy? And I realized for the first time, I'm excited to be up here talking with you. Like, yes, let's celebrate that together. Like, oh, what a journey, you guys. What a journey. It's partially because you people are incredible, and it is a joy to walk life with you and to share thoughts and have you share your thoughts back sometimes while I'm talking and most of the time after. It is a journey that we are on together and I love sharing it with you. So if we haven't met yet, it is high time. Even if it's your first time, like it's high time. My name is Angela. It's nice to meet you. I will try to be in the lobby afterwards. I'd like to meet, meet you. But in the meantime, let's talk about way to pray. Good morning. Welcome to town. Um, Okay, so this is the last Sunday of this series, and I am not ready to let it go yet. I, like Shauna, really have resonated with this series. So we're going to do something a little different. As far as I know, we have never done this at New Life before, but we love change. So we are going to actually settle in this morning and actually do a recap of this whole series. And so I have spent my prep time, instead of writing a bunch of new content, actually reviewing the journey that we have been on this summer about prayer because it has really affected me. My prep in order to do the conversations like this has affected me, but also things that Ron has said. So we often, we always have a a thing in your program for teaching notes, and usually it's a nice blank canvas that you can scribble your illustrated notes on or take notes however you want. But this particular day, I did it a little differently because I think you might want to track which teaching had which content in it. It's summertime. We don't all make it to church every week in the summer for sure. So you might have missed something. So today, if you missed something, it's fun because you get a little sneak peek on it. But I also made sure to put the dates there of which Sundays we did which talk in case you want to go back and review because it was, um, it's been a really fun series. So I am literally going to settle in and we're going to talk about way to pray this summer. So we kicked it off in July with an obvious opening place, which is, what's my win for prayer? And in that, Ron had us redefine prayer. Instead of this thing that starts with, dear God, and ends with, amen, he suggested using story from the Bible that was kind of obscure, but really poignant, a very difficult, difficult story from Genesis. He used this character that had all kinds of tragedy in her life, and she ended her story saying, the God who sees me. And he said, what if prayer could better be defined as ordinary conversations with the God who sees me? Instead of a thing that we do to kick off our day, instead of a thing that we do simply to um, let our requests be known, instead of a should that a lot of us have prayer into a should category, 
I am trying to explore my faith. I probably should be praying. What if it was ordinary conversations with a God who sees me, who cares about what is going on in my day-to-day life, even down to the minutia? What if we could redefine prayer in that way? And so our win would be just sitting in conversation with God. When we take that lens on prayer, it takes it out of the should category, and it takes it into this relational thing that has a lot more power to it than um, what we have traditionally engaged in prayer as. Week number two piggybacked straight onto that, and our topic for the day was how does prayer work? How does it work? But in that Sunday, I suggested, actually, the first conversation we need to, question we need to answer is, does it work? Because most of us, the format of prayer that we use is a lot like a vending machine. I put in a prayer, and then I wait for the thing that I asked for to drop out and come out. But like vending machines, it can be infuriating to keep putting the prayers in and having nothing come out. And the question is, do I just keep double downing, or do I kick it, or what do I do? How, like, how do I get that thing to come out? When we pray like this, it leaves us with the impression that prayer is hit and miss, that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. So we had to spend some time talking about, does prayer actually work? And I uh, proposed to you that prayer always works because prayer always provides. And on that morning, I made a gigantic list of things that prayer provides. Because we tend to think my prayer is working if I put a prayer in and the thing that I asked for fell out. Instead of when I sit in these ordinary conversations with God, things happen. Prayer always provides. Sometimes it provides an alternative perspective. Sometimes it provides a better question for me to be asking. Sometimes it provides courage for me to take a step forward in a thing. Like it always provides. But when we think of it like a vending machine, we only have a very small window of ways that we could define success in. I have put in what I need and it needs to come out. As opposed to this broad strokes, prayer always provides, we have the freedom or actually we give God the freedom to answer in a myriad way. And then we also always get the sense that God is with us in that moment, even when we don't get the answer that we were looking for. So I suggested to us that prayer does always work because prayer always provides. But then also, uh, how? I had to answer that question. How does it work? And we used the analogy of a heart with chambers in it and doors on those chambers, a metaphorical heart, not an anatomical heart. That's kind of (laughs) gross. That our heart, a metaphorical heart, has chambers in it. And the way that prayer can actually work is when we don't have any locked doors. That we all have things that either are in our past or things that we are feeling and experiencing right now that we are tempted to keep God out of because we think he will judge it, because we think he might be disappointed, because we think he can't relate to whatever it is that we have hidden inside of there. But that prayer really works. The way that it works is when we get proximity with God and the things that we have in our hearts. That's how it works, is no locked doors. And one of the things that I said um, in that analogy was sometimes the best that we can do is stand outside the door with God and just say, there's junk in there. 
Like, I, I'm not ready to open that door yet. I'm certainly not ready. I have had a couple of instances where I have had this picture in my head, and I'm like, okay, there's rubbish inside of there that I'm mortified about. I'm going to go ahead and step away, and you can take a look inside of there, and then maybe we'll reconvene. Like, I don't, it's something about my yuck and a really pure, loving God that is incongruous to be together that it feels like in some way my junk is going to corrupt him. Am I the only one that has had that thought? Like, you don't want to go in there. <laughs> you don't want to go in there. Some because I'm mortified. But even if I can get past that moment where it's like, no, he's not afraid of this. We can go in there. I just feel badly about it. I, if we can get the locks off the doors, if we can get the doors open, if we can get proximity with God and that stuff, that is how prayer works. That is how prayer changes us. But then that begs the question, I think most of us have hanging in the air whether we actually think, oh yeah, I wonder if I can do prayer wrong. But we do wonder if we're doing prayer wrong. And the reason why I know that we know that is some of the things that I have suggested to you, your faces would be like, you can't do that. Like that's not, nope. (laughs) So I know that we have some degree of rules of what we think prayer is and prayer isn't. And that means that we have some questions about can we actually do prayer wrong. And so Ron spent two different weeks talking about can we do it wrong. Does anyone else see the little friend that is swarming my head? Can you? (laughs) It's not there. There is a very small little friend that is just circling me. I showered. Um. So, okay, so can I do it wrong? And Ron said yes, which was like, what? You can't. Okay. His presupposition was that if you don't pray, you're doing it wrong. Like, that's pretty much the only way you can do it wrong is if you don't pray. So, like, just try it on for size. Try different things. And I love, this was the talk where he started to talk about how our imagination is part of prayer. I am a person of vivid imagination, but it is an interesting and new concept to me that God created my imagination, that God can live in my imagination, and that God can use my imagination to foster our relationship. That, this, two parts of this series, (laughs) these can I do it wrong, Ron was blowing my mind left and right. Like, oh my gosh, my imagination is my God-given tool not just to be used for creativity, not just as an outlet for who I am made to be. It is part of who I am, and I foster my imagination in a gazillion ways. To leverage our imagination on behalf of these conversations that we're having is a new and fun horizon to explore. And he was, um, that, that was the teaching that he began to talk about that. He also blew my mind in this particular teaching um, by by using our imaginations to um, consider the dominant narrative that we have about God. It's going to be hard to step into prayer and to open those locked doors if the way that we picture God is a judge or a police officer who is waiting to catch us doing something wrong, which is not what police officers do, right? (laughs) I did something this week in my car, and then I passed a car that looked a little bit like a cop. It was like... I'm so sorry to the police officers and these wonderful 
public servants that we fear. I'm so sorry that this is the analogy that we use, but we have this fear of authority in general, and we, we put that onto God. And so he was suggesting to us that we use our imaginations to paint a picture of a different God. And he used some um, verses out of the Bible in John that I'd like to read together. They were just good enough to revisit The shepherd walks right up to the gate, and the gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. In this case, the shepherd is God. That is the analogy that is being used here. The sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am an animal person, and if I had a flock of sheep, they would all have names, like for sure. (laughs) Yeah, this picture of him knowing his sheep by name and them knowing his voice of familiarity and they approach him with zero fear. In fact, they see, this picture is of sheep that are eager to hang with the shepherd. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. That is a beautiful picture of prayer that I attend to come with the vending machine idea and hope that God answers. But when I stop to think about the prayer that always provides and I picture this version of God, which is this is what Jesus says God is like, then now I'm not afraid to hear whatever it is that he says in there because I can trust him because we are building rapport in that way and because this is a trustworthy God. And then he also gave one specific role that God defines himself as. Like, this is an analogy of a shepherd, but God also calls himself our father. So I want to read a verse out of Matthew that I think is a beautiful depiction of this. This is your father. This is your father you are dealing with. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our father in heaven. That is the picture when God says, when you picture me, don't picture your earthly father with his blessings and his um, weaknesses. Picture your heavenly father, your heavenly father, and then approach with confidence because you are my sheep. I know your name. I loved, he blew my mind, Ron blew my mind in this message when he talked about a God who withholds his knowledge of the future, that he is an infinite God And we tend to view a very narrow picture of God's will, that God has this path for us that we need to find our way to stay on, but that God withholds that knowledge and lets us choose as we go. And he ended that particular teaching with this question, what will I do in life and how can I invite God to partner with me in that? And that flipped. For most of us, we picture the will of God being something that is sort of preordained and we're just doing our best to stay with it. It flipped it on its head and started to talk about prayer being the process where I talk to God about where I'm going and I decide whether or not I'm inviting him in. And it, that, that concept about God's will being significantly more um, malleable than I would have originally thought that I think most of us think about God's will was really... It shook me in my prayer life. And then he continued part two of can I do it wrong? And he talked about convenience prayers versus the kind of prayers that construct us. And convenience prayers are, could you please make my life easier? Could you please deal with that person that is driving me crazy? Could you please take away this thing? That we have a default to engage in conversation with God in order to make our lives easier. And I don't think God has any problem with us asking whatever we want to ask. No problem at all. 
But Ron said, what about if we begin to view prayer in a different way? What if instead of blind obedience, God actually wants to develop in us an unshakable sense of morality and ethics? When we engage with God in ordinary conversations and he begins to shape our perspective, we begin to think like him. And what if instead of always getting what we wanted, that's the vending machine prayer, God wants us to develop inner strength to endure no matter what comes our way. There is a lot in life that happens to us that we have no control over. God has ordained life to take its course, and he has said, I'll partner with you as you go. But, dude, yuck happens. I mean, it happens to us. What if our prayers are not so much about the ability to get that yuck out, but our ability to stand in there with inner strength and deal with what comes? And then what if instead of blindly following a path that God lays out for us, that's that narrow view of God's will, what if he wants us to learn how to make wise choices in choosing our own life path? And then we circle back to this idea of just inviting him into it. This picture of the interactions, the real-time interactions with God, instead of a God who knows all and sees all and is above us and is hoping that we can just figure out how to get it right, what if it is a God that is right next to us, that is listening to our hopes and dreams, that is sharing his perspective, that is waiting to see, what do you want? Where are we going? And do you want me to come with you? This picture of God makes our prayer life come alive because it's a real-time interaction as we make choices throughout our day, but even in the bigger ones where you make choices that are life-altering. God answers our prayers in ways that help us develop strength, wisdom, endurance, and moral character as we choose and walk out our path in life. If you've missed either one of these can I do it wrong teachings, I made sure to put the notes in here, the dates, go back. It just is life-altering, this idea about how God interacts with us and our futures. And then I loved this verse he shared from Ephesians that is just worth revisiting again. If we can. Ephesians? Yay! I ask God to strengthen you by his spirit. It's not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly in love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. And I love the size of this. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb its depths, rise to the heights, live full lives. When I picture what Ron was talking about, about the will of God, I picture these infinite veins of options in front of us based on our design, based on our excited, the things that we are passionate about, based on our skills, based on our experiences that make us more interested in certain things than others. I picture this vein and we're standing at the crossroads every single day of almost infinite options. And God is just there like, where do you want to go? Where are we going? Do you want to take me with you? You want to talk about it? I love, that is what I picture when I see live full lives, full in the fullness of God. That's a lot of full. Which leads straight to last week's teaching, which is prayers that transform. And this one was just delightful. Time with God equals change. Proximity, these ordinary conversations where we talk about little things, little tiny mundane things. 
are what shape us. So I love being an auntie. It is one of my favoriteest roles to play in life. And my closest proximity, nieces and niece and nephews, are teenagers. And it is delightful. I, I love this age. It is really fun. So auntie likes to be a splash. Like I like to come in on the big occasions or I like to make big occasions. I really enjoy having my face associated with some of their biggest memories and, and uh, adventures. But this last week, I got to live with them for a week. The mundane was so precious to me. I'm sure those of you that are parents experience this, where you're just sitting at the breakfast table, and it's just a magic moment. It's, there's just something, there's, you know, jam is like slid all the way up to the ear. Maybe it's miserable in that moment. I don't know. But you have those moments where it's like this was completely ordinary and completely miraculous. I think that is what our prayer life is meant to be, that we are talking about the most mundane, ordinary, day-to-day things. And it changes us because we are constantly interacting with God's perspective. We are hearing his thoughts. We're sharing our own. We're letting him speak into it. That's the kind of prayer that transforms. It's just time with God equals change. And when God is personally present, this is a direct quote from that teaching. When God is personally present, we are transfigured, gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Jesus. In my former life, in my recovering legalistic view of faith, (laughs) I would read a scripture like this and think, the more I get my acts together, the more I listen to the rules of God, the more I do the things God says do and don't do the things God says don't, That's when I will become brighter and more beautiful. When I get my act together, we can all agree that's a better version of Angela. That's not that hard. I love that Ron used this just in the light of the ordinary conversations, the mundane. Time spent with God equals change. My best me, my brighter and more beautiful. And it's so simple. We had three roles to play. That's it. God does the rest. We have three roles to play. We need to show up, pray, join in. And then just get real. That's it. Like when you put it that way, I think about the things that I want to change about myself or the things I want to change about my life. And that seems overly simplistic. But that is also because I often leave God right out of those moments. But it is God who transforms. Engaging in ordinary conversations, just proximity to God is what changes me. So then today, that's our, that's our, uh, that's how we got to this moment. I want to put the frosting on the proverbial cake. And I don't know about your cake eating habits, but I pretty much eat cake for the frosting. So I think that me, I am saying uh, that this is the best. Uh, No, it's not. It's not. But I want to talk about how we can get real without getting stuck. Because if we do have the courage to go to one of those locked doors and open it and let God see what's happening inside of there or what we really feel... When that thing is negative, which most of the time we're not trying to hide positive things from God. Most of the time it's the negative stuff. When that thing is negative, then I also have a propensity to sort of get stuck. So, for instance, if the negative emotion that I am experiencing, that I want to have an ordinary conversation with God. So old Angela would have prayed, dear God, I'm so ticked off at such and such. Could you just make them stop doing that is the type of prayer that I would have prayed. So now I'm trying to be more real, and I'm trying to actually let God in to see what I'm feeling. 
So I might cry about what I'm angry about, and I might be a little bit more specific about what I'm angry about, and I might confess some of the yucky things that I'm thinking about that person. But one of the things that with this more informal type of prayer is that God and I have a tendency to get stuck in a loop that other people and I have a tendency to get stuck in. So if you're one of my close friends and I feel like I have to talk about this anger, I might be tempted to come to you and just let you know all kinds of things that are happening, but I might not really want your feedback. (laughs) I might just want you to listen. I might get stuck in that anger. So I was real with you about what I'm feeling, but I'm also sort of stuck. And I find with negative emotions that I struggle with this across the board um, when I can get real about what I feel. And so prayer has a tendency to do the same thing, that I think I am bringing my worry to prayer in order to have God reshape that so that I don't feel that way again. But sometimes I just find that I'm just telling him about my worries and I'm not actually able to hear his perspective come in. So what I would like to do with the remainder of our time this morning is hit some of those big things that are negative emotions that we might experience that we might want to have an ordinary conversation with God about and then suggest a posture. It's not magic. It's not the only posture that you could take to keep from getting stuck in that negative emotion, but it's at least a place to start. That the next time that you're like, okay, God, we are getting real about this thing that I feel. If you find yourself getting stuck, here's something to try to get out of the stuck cycle. So anger, that's just a great place to start. When I need to get real with God about my anger, I like to come in a posture of need. So what I tend to do is, and another thing. Like, that's what my natural posture is. Anybody else have that posture? Yeah, okay. When I have chosen the posture of need, God, I am angry, like I'm almost speechlessly angry, I start with real. I let whatever come out, come out. Like I get real. But when I am ready to have something different happen, I don't pull up my bootstraps and say, never mind, I won't be angry about this anymore. I don't pull up my bootstraps and say, I know you don't want to be angry about this anymore. What I do instead is I attempt to foster a posture of need. God, I need to get rid of this toxicity. I need you to do something about my heart condition. If I could have fixed this, I would not choose to feel like this. I need an alternative perspective. I need you to help me understand what is this, why is this making me so angry? I need this. That posture has been very effective in helping me get out of the telling God how ticked off I am. So there's one idea. Hopelessness. That's another sensation that can happen. When I feel hopeless in my prayers, I don't really want to pray. I don't really want to talk about it. I'm feeling hopeless about a situation or hopeless about a season of life. I have loved the posture of rest, which seemed counterintuitive to me at first. That I'm already feeling hopeless, which kind of feels apathetic. But the slight switch to the posture of rest has been incredibly powerful for me because there is part of me that is emotionally lying limp and unwilling to do something about it, but I'm also not resting. There is part of me that feels guilty for all of that and feels the need to pull up our bootstraps and do something better, stop the apathy. 
So to, to introduce the posture of rest into this environment for me has been incredibly powerful. And, and for whatever it's worth, I'll just tell you one of the ways that I visualize this posture. I picture God a physical human being. I, I don't really know what he looks like, but that, that is what I picture. And I picture him large enough that I fit into the palm of his hand. And rest for me, when I'm feeling hopeless, looks like me laying on my side with my head rested on the pillow of his palm, that little meaty place. It's comfy. It's comfy there. And most often, I'm in the fetal position. It's kind of ugly. <laughs> it's kind of ugly. But I choose to put my head down, and I choose to hear his silence and his empathy, and I just rest there. Sometimes that's the best that I can do. That posture is all I can, can um, handle. Sometimes God and I have that ordinary conversation, and I find my posture, my imagination, switches to where I'm still lying in the palm of his hand, but I flipped over onto my back, and I've got my hands behind my head like I'm sunbathing, and my head's still on that little meaty part of his hand, but now we're like chilling, and it's a different kind of rest. It's not a desperate rest, and it hasn't solved any of my problems, most likely, but that posture has helped that sense of hopelessness. So there's an idea for that posture. When I'm feeling tempted, I don't generally want to pray. <laughs> I don't generally want to do that. The posture of honesty has been so powerful. God, I want to blink, <laughs> which is mortifying. I mean, like whatever goes into that blank for you is never something you want to say. I cannot believe the powerful conversations that have come out of simply naming what I am tempted to do or say or do. <laughs> I cannot believe the power of that. Now, it is not necessarily a foolproof system to not act on that temptation. It's not. But it has been so much easier for God and I to talk about my guilty conscience later when I have at least brought him into that moment of temptation. And that is one of those places where we usually want to put a locked door. I don't want God to see what I'm tempted to do. I don't want him to see that natural inclination. Honesty has changed the culture of that moment for me. And it's worth a shot if that's something that you um, resonate with. All right, there's a difference for me on being angry with God versus angry in general. And I find angry with God way harder to pray in. It's way harder. I'm mad at you. I don't really want to talk to you. I have found it helpful to take a posture of curiosity. And I, I generally use one sentence for this one. God, and it has an edgy tone to it, <laughs> help me understand what the are you doing. <laughs> that doesn't sound like curiosity, but if I can get that sentence out in proximity to him, it can turn to curiosity. It is so helpful to ask questions. What are you thinking? How could this be happening? Why aren't you acting? How, why have you not fixed this? A posture of curiosity can get me out of that stuck space. But then also questioning God is a different thing to me. Um, sometimes those are one and the same, but sometimes I question what I see in the Bible. Sometimes I question um, what I see God enacting in my life. So questioning God to me has a little different tone to it. And for me, I use the posture of vulnerability here. When you didn't do this, I was afraid that you didn't see my struggle. When you did this, it made me feel 
like you didn't care that that hurt. That, that posture of vulnerability, I see this and this is how I feel, has helped me get out of that stuck space of, I'm not questioning you. I know why you did that and I don't like it. It's been really helpful to talk about how I feel on the other side of the choices that he has made or the principles that he's laid out. Like, I have to forgive, I question you. Like, I, I question you. That feels like they are getting away with something. I question that. So that would be one of those things that I would say. When you tell me to forgive that person who has currently wronged me, has not apologized, and is actually still blaming me for what's went wrong, it makes me feel like you're telling me my hurt doesn't matter. I, I, that posture of vulnerability has helped a ton. Guilty. When I'm feeling guilty, I find the posture of repentance to be helpful. This does not seem, if you've grown up in the church, repentance is like, ah, all it means is to change your mind. That's all it means, just to change your mind. And it's the kind of change your mind that has actually changed your opinion or your heart. When I feel guilty, I find it so helpful to say I feel guilty. And I, 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 I actually want you to change that feeling. I don't know about you, but when I actually feel guilty, I generally want to feel guilty because I feel like that's the penance I have to pay for the thing that I did. It, it is a, but I find taking this posture of change my mind, two ways God can change my mind in that moment when I will take this posture, I, I want you to change my mind. He can change my mind about guilt and release me from that by allowing me to hear his forgiveness. But he can also change my mind that I really liked the thing that I had done. It felt very good to snap at that person. But now I feel guilty because I know that I deflated them and I know I didn't represent you well at all, so I feel guilty. It's so helpful to sit in that moment with my guilt and with God and have him say, yeah, I know that felt good in the moment. Does this feel good? The next time you feel the desire to snap and deflate that person, remember this feeling. It can change your mind about what you want in that moment. What you actually want is to avoid this moment. This is your best interest. So that's the kind of, when I say repentance, I mean a change of mind. Then I have three more. When we're scared, it can be hard to be in prayer time feeling scared and not just fixate on the thing that we're scared of. So I find when I'm scared that using the posture of sentiment is incredibly helpful and powerful to snap me into a different heart space. And by sentiment, I mean walk down a memory road. If you're brand new to your faith, it's totally possible that you don't have a memory road of the ways that God has been faithful in the past. Because for me, having a long history with God, I find that walk down memory road reminds me that God is going to take care of me and I am going to be okay and he is trustworthy. That's how I use that posture of sentimentality. But if you're brand new to faith, that can feel like I don't have a memory road to walk down. A couple of things. If there's someone in your world who is a person of faith, picking their memory road, picking their brain and their sentimentality can help. I also find that reading stories either from the Bible or reading just biography stories of people who have done incredible things of faith. Mother Teresa comes to mind. Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to mind. There's characters who are not in the Bible that were incredible people of faith that God was faithful to. You can borrow someone else's sentiment, but the posture of sentiment has helped me tremendously snap out of fear. Discouraged. When I'm discouraged, the posture of generosity is super helpful. I had some of that this week where I... Um, 
was discouraged. And I want to just spend time in my prayers talking about my discouragement, which just makes me more discouraged sometimes. When I stopped to pray for someone else, so I was, in full disclosure, on Friday, was crying pretty hard about treatment that I had received. And I realized that there are people, there's a people group in our world who are treated like that all of the time, unrelentingly, because of how our world sees that people group. And I, I took strength and my prayers could snap out of the self-absorption of discouragement as I took strength from other people's stories. So praying for that people group pulled me out of the stuckness that was my discouragement. That kind of posture can be incredibly powerful. And then lastly, the, the sensation of breathlessness. Americans in general keep a very quick-paced life, and sometimes we find ourselves just panting, just panting for breath. Can life just slow down a little bit? When we find ourselves breathless, the posture of surrender is incredibly powerful. I'd recommend the posture of surrender in general. It is a daily prayer for me the last few months, and I'm finding it very powerful. But the posture of surrender, not surrendering to your pace of life, but surrendering to God being in charge and you getting to be his child is so powerful. That is not the sum and total of human emotions that we might want to pray about, nor is it the sum and total of postures that you could use to go and combat that sensation, to be able to get real without getting stuck. But it's a place to start. It's just a place to start. As we wrap up this prayer series, it's nice to have little tips like that in your back pocket, which hopefully will help you take those home. I want to talk just a smidge about the teaching series that's coming. Next week, we start a three-week series called The Jesus Effect. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and he had a perspective in life. He had a mantra and a philosophy about life that if we allowed that um, perspective to uh, affect our lives, the Jesus effect, it would change our daily life. It would change our immediate world. And if we got enough of us using this perspective in life, it would end all of the major world crises all of them. I don't know that we're going to, in three weeks, end all of the major world crises, <laughs> but if we could dip our toes into that perspective that Jesus held, we can begin to change our immediate world. We can begin to rub off on each other in a different way. We will interact in our jobs in a different way. We would interact with customer service in a different way. The Jesus effect is as relevant as it has ever been and powerful. So these next three weeks, I highly encourage, come engage. I love the fact that we have online. It's uh, in your program. Our website is listed. You just hit watch, and it's all right there. Happy summer, friends. We're wrapping up the refresh. We're wrapping up Way to Pray. We're ready to launch into the Jesus effect. I would like to pray a prayer of blessing over you. If you're game for it, close your eyes. If not, you just stare at me while I pray over you. God, the kind of prayer that we've been talking about does not start with dear God and just end with amen. It's an ordinary conversation. But in, on Sundays, we model a different kind of prayer most of the time. But this is my ordinary conversation these precious people matter to you. And we are learning to matter to each other as we journey in life together. Every single person walks in with a burden on one shoulder and hopefully some kind of anticipation maybe on the other shoulder. 
But we have lives that matter. We have concerns and cares that matter. We lift them to you. We ask you to foster relationships in our lives and bring content into our lives that helps us shoulder these burdens better. We want to walk out here a little bit brighter and a little bit more beautiful because we have sat in proximity to you and we have felt it off of each other. Thank you for the blessing that it is to come and explore faith in a public setting because we have religious freedom. Thank you for the way that you helped us carve out this morning from our busy lives. Thank you for the blessing that it is to be together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.